Welcome to the LFC Podcast, where our mission is to make, deploy, and multiply mature and equipped Christ followers. Our prayer is that you'll be challenged and inspired to live your life for Jesus Christ by the preaching of the Word. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so you can be notified every time we release new content. Now, let's get ready to jump into the Word. But the title of my message is called Saved, Seated, and Sent. Saved, Seated, and Sent. I, tonight, want to implore to you, I want to speak to three different women. Three different women that may be in three different seasons of life. And that through the Holy Spirit, you would leave this place empowered and emboldened and even even experience clarity maybe about the season that you're in who you are and the value of your voice i want tonight for you guys to leave provoked to action amen provoked to action so what do i mean by saved seated and sent saved this is the person who is in need of the saving work of jesus or to be reminded of the foundation of who you are as a daughter of the king. For the seated, this is for the person who's currently in a season of waiting. You feel like you're in a seated season. It feels like you're wandering through a wilderness of uncertainty with dreams put on hold and weariness weighing heavy on you from the weight. For the scent, this is the individual who has lingered too long grown idle in faith, passive in action, and maybe even be experiencing confusion about your calling and your purpose. I'm here to tell you that if this is for you, now is the time to go forth, woman of God. Now is the moment to step forward, empowered by the approval of heaven and emboldened by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So let's open up to Jeremiah 18. We're going to be camped out there. If my iPad can stay up. If you got to say got it. If you got to say bloom. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying... Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord. Look as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. I want to talk a little bit before we go into this first section on what it looks like, the, the individual that needs the saving grace of God. And I want to talk a little bit about the, the, the process of making pottery. Does anybody, has anybody ever done any pottery or do you do pottery? Okay. There's a lot of people. So you guys may know exactly what I'm going to talk, talk about. But there's different steps when it comes to making a piece of pottery. And that looks like the gathering of the clay, 
the preparation and the cleaning of the clay, the molding, decoration and design, drying, firing, glazing, and then a final inspection. And there's so much that we see about our lives when I look through the process of how is, how is a piece of pottery made? And how many of you guys know that we are all on a growth, I raise, my, I raise my hand here, we are all on a journey of growth, renewal, transformation, and sanctification, amen? And this life is the great blooming until we are surrounded by a bouquet of glory for all eternity. But blooming requires time. Blooming requires patience. And blooming even requires the shedding of dead leaves and petals. The dead leaves of our old man. The dead petals of our old habits. Am I talking to somebody here? Sanctification. And you will begin to see your life through the steps of the pottery making process where God is the master potter and we are the clay. So I want to go into section one, saved by grace. The process of gathering clay typically began with the collection of clay at riverbanks or mud pits. And in order for God to mold us and shape us into a vessel for his purpose, he first had to go into the mud pits, hallelujah, he first had to go into the dirt, into the mud, into the ground. And that is where he found us. This is a picture of being saved by the grace of God. If you look further, there's commentaries, and there's, this is all in your notes that you guys can look into. But in a commentary, it says that the house of the potter, that Hebrew word means shaper. And it's related to Yahweh's creative activity. We can go all the way back to Genesis 2. I'm doing some teaching tonight, teaching and preaching, so y'all stay with me. In Genesis 2, where Yahweh shapes Adam from the dust of the ground... This is likely a basis for the potter metaphor for God. But this picture of God as the potter signifies that God is not concerned with getting his hands a little dirty with us. Amen? He's not intimidated by our mess. He's not intimidated about going into the lowest places of our lives. And how many of you guys know that the master potter came looking for us and he found us. And with great love and care, he brought us out of a horrible pit. He took us out of the miry clay and he set our feet upon a rock. Hallelujah. We are saved. We are being saved and we will be saved. And here's what I want to talk about, that understanding your identity and who you are as a daughter of God is essential to salvation and sanctification. Many issues lie in this one revelation. Knowing who you are and knowing who God is. I'm going to say that again. Many issues lie in this one revelation. Knowing who you are and knowing who God is. And I don't want to just assume that every single person in this room is born again just because we're in a church building. I believe that tonight is the night of salvation for one person. And if, and if you are saved, this is actually really good news. This is actually very exciting news because a lot of times we grow familiar to the things of God. And a lot of times we need to be reminded of what God took us out of so that we can have a new praise in our spirit. So we can have a new fire on the inside of our hearts. If there's anything that will remove the 
dullness and the dryness of your salvation and of your Christian walk, if you feel dull and dry and stagnant, I'll tell you right now, daughter, to remember where God brought you out of. Because everybody in this room has a story. Amen. So remember where God brought you out of that miry clay. He gathered the clay. We wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the wonder-working power of Jesus who fills every void, who shudders the darkness, who liberates the captives, a God that is self-sufficient in himself but selfless enough to say, I want to come into the clay of humanity and I want to rescue them out of that pit and I want to join them for eternity. He is faithful. You have been chosen by God for a purpose. Do you know that? You have been chosen by God for a purpose. That might be old news for some, but that may be new news for somebody. You were chosen by God for a purpose. And many today are asking God, what is my purpose? What is my calling? Any teenagers here? Any Gen Zers in here? Raise your hand. (laughs) Oh, come on. Hallelujah for Gen Z and Gen Alpha. I love young people. Let's give Gen Z and Gen Alpha the young people a round of applause. But there's an identity crisis in America. I think that we would all agree with that. And many are asking, who am I? What am I called to? What is my purpose? And I believe there's one answer, and that answer is God. That answer is Yahweh. The answer lies in discovering the man who once discovered you before time began. Hallelujah. The answer is God. John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. It's comforting to know that despite the lump of clay that we came out of, that God says, I've chosen you for a purpose. Romans 9, 19 to 21, I just want to touch on this a little bit, just about the who you are thing, because I believe that that question is echoing the halls of America today. It says, but who are you, a human being, this is in the New Testament, But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? That who are you? That's like, God God is like, who are you? You gonna tell me who you are? I'm gonna get in trouble because I'm gonna start going into a lot of issues right now that we're having like gender dysphoria. I'm not, I won't go there, pastor, I won't go there. But a lot of people are asking, who are you? And God is asking that same question. He's like, who are you? Who are you to tell me, the creator of heaven and earth? Come on. The devil is proposing this question to the pure and the innocent in heart. And when man and its corrupt seed attempts to play God or play as God, we see that God asks us the same question. Who are you? One of the greatest threats to the kingdom of darkness is being confident in who you are in Christ. 
I'm telling you, you want to fight the enemy today in the 21st century? Know who you are. You want to know a secret to spiritual warfare? When you're feeling insecurity and you're feeling overcome by jealousy and you're being overcome by comparison and covetousness over what that sister has and I don't have, I'm talking to somebody. I've been there. I've been there. But fight that enemy by knowing who you are in Christ. On a potter's wheel, it may feel like you are spiraling, but you're not being winded into more webs of confusion. You're actually being unraveled in truth. And it's a truth that sets you free. Let's go back to Jeremiah 18. I'm going to do some teaching here. I'm going to go back and forth a little bit. Listen, I love the word of God. I absolutely love the Bible. We need a revival in the Bible. Amen. We need to love the word of God and be rooted in the word of God, even as women of God. We need to be rooted in the word. So let's go into verse 1 again. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house. That word arise is a verb to take action. And I want to provoke us to take action and go down into the potter's house. That word go down is a picture of bowing low in humility. Posturing ourselves in a place of humility. And can I tell you that sometimes coming up higher actually looks like coming lower. It looks like agreeing with what John says that I must decrease and he must increase. Arise and go down to the potter's house. Bow low in humility. That word potter in Hebrew is a verb meaning to form, to fashion, to shape, to squeeze, to mold into form and into purpose. Arising and going down to the potter's house, this is an example of our human responsibility meeting God's sovereignty because there's a partnership that takes place in this passage. There's a partnership where it says you have to take action to partner with what I want to show you with what I want to reveal to you. And a house, how many of you guys know that a house is a picture of security, right? A house is a picture of shelter. What else is a house a picture of? Throw some things at me. Say it again. Us. Yes. So good. Family. Family. Give me a couple more. Safe place. I love that. Throw some more at me. Two more. Shelter. You got it, sis. Protection. That's so good. A house is a picture of protection, of safety, of belonging, of identity, where our roots are established. A scri in scripture, a house or the house of God refers to the sacred sanctuary where God's glory dwells. Isaiah 64, 8 says, but now, O Lord, you are our father, and we are the clay, and you are potter, and we all the work of your hands. Here in Isaiah, compared to Jeremiah, he actually says in the same verse, father and potter. And so I want to talk a little bit about sonship, and I want to talk a little bit more about identity and what this looks like coming into the house of the potter that is really the father and the identity 
that we are meant to carry the power of our identity in Christ as daughters. Amen? Understanding the sonship message as it pertains to salvation is the foundation to our Christian walk. We never graduate from this. Romans 8, 14 to 17. I love this verse so much. I love Romans 8. I love Galatians 4. I live in these passages daily. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. When we understand our inheritance as daughters of God and the authority that we carry as heirs, we will walk differently, we will pray differently, we will operate differently rather than performing or striving or living under the bondage of fear. You have a different walk. You have a different stray. And it's not a confidence that is rooted in pride. It's a confidence that says, I know who my God is and I know who I am in him. In sonship, I don't have to perform or climb a ladder for love. I just know that I'm loved. Do you want to know the secret or a secret to living a life that glorifies God? sis listen I love this front row I love this front row this is so good a secret to living a life that glorifies God is abiding in him when you look at John 15 it, it, it says in John 15 I'm, I'm rephrasing it here but a summary, what the scripture shows us is that when we abide in God we bear fruit and that results in God being glorified out of us. Abiding in God. You were destined to live victorious because of your position in Christ through the cross. So I want to ask you, sisters in Christ in this room, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are as a daughter of God? Come on, they're more excited in the front row. This is my people right here. <laughs> this realization cannot just stay as information and as knowledge. It has to become revelation that leads to transformation in our lives. I want to move on. We're going to continue talking about the process of pottery and I want to talk to the person who is in a seated season. So we talked a little bit about what it looks like to be saved by the grace of God. Amen. And sonship and the foundation of what it looks like to know who you are as a daughter of the king. So let's keep looking at the process of how pottery is made. So the person that I want to speak to that's in a seated season, what I mean by this is you are in a season of being processed by God. You may have experienced this or you may be experiencing this right now in your life where it feels like you're in a wilderness, where it feels like your dreams are on the shelf, 
where it feels like you're overcome by the disappointment of delay and discouragement, where you're tired of sitting and it feels like there's no point to the turning of your wheel. I want to speak to that person. But a seeded season, if you want to write this down, a seeded season is the place of devotion. It is the place of transformation. It is the place of promotion. And it is the place where you find your voice. Seeded seasons can either be wasted or we can seize those moments and seize that time in our life where we feel like we're just sitting and we feel like I'm overwhelmed or I'm overcome by disappointment and discouragement. I don't really know what my life looks like right now. I feel like I'm in a wilderness. This is a special place. So after we are saved from our pit of destruction, after God gathers the clay, God then turns the great spotlight in our lives that need the refining work of Jesus Christ. And it feels like painful punishment sometimes, but it's necessary for our character formation. And the temptation in a seated season is to strive when God just wants you to sit. The danger is to send yourself when you're in a seated season and then you birth an Ishmael instead of an Isaac. It is in our nature to want to rush the pruning process, to get off the table, to get off the potter's wheel and to try to figure it out ourselves, thus taking the potter's position. But we must stay seated on the table of process. We must yield to the potter who is molding us into the image of Christ. So after the gathering of the clay, then comes the preparation and the cleaning. And the goal in the preparation and cleaning process is to remove the impurities from the clay and to achieve the desired consistency. And the thing is, the right moisture on the clay is very important. Because if it's too dry, it will resist. If it's too wet, it will refuse to assume the shape that the potter is attempting to make out of it. And I want to encourage you that if you are in a seated season, don't resist the washing of the water of the word of God and the spirit of God in your life. When there's dryness and there's dullness in a seated season, allow the word of God and the washing of his word and his spirit to renew you and to give you strength. And usually the potter has to reshape the clay and restart all over if it, did, if it was too stubborn or if it was too sticky. I'm telling you, I'm, sp I'm speaking to somebody. The potter literally has to reform it and re remake it if it's the clay is too stubborn and too sticky we can either choose to submit in a seated season or we can choose to be stubborn in a seated season and resist the work of God that is happening in our in our lives Philippians 2 13 says for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure in some verses it says to will and to act in order to fulfill his purpose. We can't expect the will of God to happen in our lives if we've resisted him every step of the way there. 
Don't strive, just sit and let him shape you. Next, the clay is molded into shape on a potter's wheel. So we've done the, the cleaning and, and the removing of the impurities. And then the clay is molded onto the potter's wheel where the wheel is spinning as the, as the piece is being molded. Spinning and spinning as the piece is being molded. We can either climb back on the wheel ourselves or God will have us spinning around the same mountain until we're willing to yield and submit to the process. Are you running around the same mountain and then wondering why? Are you wondering why, man, I just keep finding myself in this same cycle, in this same cycle, in this same cycle. Maybe God is trying to teach you something. Maybe God is saying, if you would yield to the molding, if you would yield to what I'm doing inside of you, there will be fruit that bears from your life. Then comes the drying process. This process is very important in the pottery making process. Because if you, put, if you put the vessel inside the fire before it's been dried, it will actually erupt and explode. And so this process cannot be skipped. After molding, the vessel will break and be useless if it is fired before it is properly dried. The key in moments like this where it feels like there's dryness and there's dullness in a seated season of your life, the key is not the waiting itself. The key is what am I learning and applying in my waiting season? The key is not my desired outcome of what I'm going to get out of this season of being processed by God. The key is and the goal is him. The goal is beholding him in the process. Listen, if you've gone through a breakup, we're all girls in here. When you go through a breakup, the goal is not that in the future my man of God is going to come one day, even though that is an awesome outcome and I believe the promise of God for you is yes and amen. But that's secondary to discovering God as your husband to discovering God as the man that never leaves, to discovering God and beholding a new facet of his character in a season where you feel like I am discouraged, I am heartbroken, and I'm, and I'm waiting and I'm hoping for a specific out outcome. But can I challenge you for the person that is in a seated season in this room, is your outcome the highest outcome that God wants you to achieve in this season? And the reward must be him. The reward must be in knowing God and seeing God rightly and coming out of a season saying, sure, God, I'll receive the blessing of having an awesome man of God and husband, but not at the expense of not knowing you. Not at the expense of not knowing who I am in you. And a lot of times in a seated season, that is the place where you discover God in a way that you never have before. How am I going to discover God as my husband if I don't yield to him in, in moments of heartache and heartbreak? How am I going to discover God as deliverer if I'm not yielding that sin in my life to him? If I'm not repentant, if I'm hiding things as if he doesn't see, if I'm covering myself with leaves like Adam and Eve did, like Abba Father doesn't see and is saying, daughter, come to me and let me show you who I am.
The outcome is him. Can I implore you to not waste a waiting season? Will you complain or will you commune? Will you complain through a waiting season or will you commune with God like you never have before in a waiting season, in a seated season, amen? A lot of us are so used to drive through Christianity. We live in a microwave society where we want now outcomes. And a lot of times we settle for a McDonald's blessing when God is like, I made a reservation for you at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. <laughs> Who's eaten at Ruth's Chris before? I'm telling you, man, that steak, listen. I love me a ribeye. And I, and I, listen, I told my husband on our first date, I was like, I'm not going to order a salad. <laughs> Listen, I ordered a plate with steak, with rice, with beans. I'm Latina, so I like, me, I like me my rice and beans with my steak extra flavor, okay, with adobo. You know what I'm saying? Who, does anybody know what I'm talking about in this place? Okay. <laughs> but a lot of times we want a perfect steak. We want it the way we like it done. Give it to me medium rare, but we won't wait on the waiter. We won't wait on the waiter to bring it because we're like, all right, well, I'm just going to settle for a McDonald's blessing. And God is like... I have something more for you and I want you to enjoy it, but I don't want you to fall in love with my hand and not fall in love with my face. I want you to enjoy the gifts that I want to give you, but not at the expense of not knowing the one who's giving the gifts. It's falling in love with the gift giver. I'm telling you, I'm inviting someone tonight to know Jesus deep. Because it requires not putting on a church facade. And it requires actually asking the tough questions. It requires a heart that is yielded that says, I'm going to stay on the potter's wheel until he gets what he needs to get out of me. Because I want my life to ooze glory. And if God is going to be glorified out of me, it means that I have to bear fruit. And in order for me to bear fruit, it means I have to abide in him. So will you complain or will you commune? Will you complain? Complain or will you abide in God? Amen. Man, are y'all asleep? I'm like awake. Did that pizza get to y'all? Y'all feeling a little tired? <laughs> Let's go back to Jeremiah 18. I'm almost done here. Jeremiah 18. We're going to look a little further in this where it says in verse 3. Then I went down to the potter's house the place of security, the place where my father dwells, the place where he tells me who I am and where I discover who I am in him. And then it says, and there he was making something at the wheel. There he was making something at the wheel. You know, I read that verse and the first song I thought about was, Jesus, when I can't see it, you're working when I can't feel it. He was already there. Can I encourage you, sister, that you won't go into a place where God's not been? That you won't go into a place where you won't find your father already ready 
to do his work in you. He acts for the one who waits on him. Isaiah 64.4. God's hand symbolizes his power. Can I encourage you to never doubt that the hand of God is not present in the wheel of your process. Never doubt that God's hand is not present in the wheel of your process. The potter's house also means shaper. Seated seasons are seasons where we are willing to submit to the sovereign shaper. I'm gonna close this section here with this. Here are lessons that you can learn from seated seasons. So the one who's seated, the molding leads to your maturity. The shaping is molding us, maturing us, developing us, deepening our affections so that we can look like him. So we can be conformed to his image. Did you know that the aim of the Christian life is not for you to just sit on a pew, listen to three songs and a message and go home the same? not experiencing the power of God in your life, not experiencing the demonstrating work of God in your life. We have fallen prey to a counterfeit gospel in America. And can I tell you, as a woman, I wanna see women of God raised up in the earth that are saying, God, I want you to get everything out of me because I wanna live a life that glorifies you. I wanna live a life where Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm seeing the work of God active in and through my life. And I will not settle. I will not settle for a counterfeit gospel that leads me to settle for McDonald's blessings. I can't do it. I've seen too much. I've experienced too much. Listen, I know that you guys in this room, we experienced it tonight. When the presence of God touches you, when the presence of God wrecks your life, you cannot ever go back. It's called being ruined. It's called being unraveled unraveled in the truth of God that sets me free and keeps me free. I had a friend that said this, and I loved it. It stuck with me, that the truth of God sets us free and the fear of God keeps us free. The truth of God sets me free, but the fear of God living in conscious reality and awareness of who is living on the inside of me, living in conscious awareness of the Holy Spirit that has made his dwelling place in my house and in my life, it will keep me in the day of temptation. It will keep me in the moment where the enemy will whisper a lie into my ear and say, this is who you are. You should not yield your life in this area. God is really not worthy of a life laid down. Or what about this? You're a little too much. I have been told I have been too much since I got saved. And I'm okay with the label. <laughs> I'm okay with the label. 
I'm telling you, man, I, when I got saved, my mom, I was the rebel of the household. My mom did not know what to do with me. My mom was overwhelmed by just what I was doing, even as a 15-year-old. And when I got saved, she still didn't know what to do with me. Because every dinner, I wanted to evangelize to my parents. And every single morning, I was up in my prayer room blasting hill songs and praying in the Holy Ghost. And they didn't know what to do with that either. I lost all my friends my senior year of high school because I was preaching at the front of my school evangelizing to people about the eternity the reality of eternity and heaven and hell I have been told I'm too much since I was 15 are you okay with that label because I'm telling you when you fully lay your life down which there's not a gospel if we want to follow what the Word of God says the Bible demands the Bible demands a life laid down Jesus didn't die halfway for me, so I won't live halfway for him. The gospel demands a life of complete surrender and a yielding to the potter who took us out of the miry clay. The secret lies in our confession, repentance, and submission to him. Here's another story. Fast forward, I'm in my mid-20s, or no, early 20s, and I was going through the deepest darkness of my life, the darkest night of the soul I've ever lived. Can I just be super transparent? Because I'm not talking, to, I'm, not, I'm speaking to myself here, guys. I lay my life down on the altar here too. I was driving here and saying, God, I die again. Because the word of God says that those who lose their life actually find it. And it's a picking of your cross daily. But in this season of my life, I was going through the darkest night of the soul that I've ever gone through. I was in deep depression, deep anxiety, having panic attacks multiple times a week. And even contemplating thoughts about what does it look like to end this? Because the pain was so unbearable. I saw no hope at the end of the tunnel. I was in a very dark place. And I became desperate. A lot of us are desperate for something, but what are you going to fill that desperation with? And I became desperate. I became desperate for my healing. I became desperate to go into the place of devotion. I became desperate to go into the place of character transformation. I, I became desperate to go into the place where I would find my voice and rediscover who I am. Where's that Claudia with the fire? Where's that Claudia that was passionate about God because this circumstance weighed so heavy on me, it was trying to take me out. Because how many of you guys know that when you give your life to Jesus, it doesn't mean that the trial stops. It means that God is actually threatened by your yes. It actually means, wait a minute, I see her now as a threat, as a threat to my kingdom advancing in the earth. And I remember I was going literally multiple times a week. I started going to deliverance sessions. I started going to, 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 to prayer rooms and to counseling sessions. And I, I just became desperate for the healing of God in my life. And I remember I was at a service and it was a super simple service. They were just talking about servanthood. It didn't even have anything to do with my situation. But I felt so overwhelmed by the love of God. And I went to the altar and I had a moment with God that I will never forget. 
I was in the deepest, darkest night of my soul, my seated season, and I went to the altar, and I, for the first time, I said, God, and at that time, I'd already went to Bible school. This is like after I went to Bible school. After I graduated, I went to Bible school. I was, I was helping with youth leadership and all this kind of stuff. And at that time in my life, I went up to the altar and I said, you know what, God, I'm weeping. I was there, I was up there for like two hours. And I just said, God, if I, if I never walk in the call of God in my life, every prophetic word, every, because I was so weighed by discouragement. I was so weighed by what I was not seeing happen in my life that I know God promised me. And I began to abandon every dream at that altar. And I meant it. It felt like my heart was being ripped outside of me and I was watching it at the altar. I felt like I was watching myself bleed out at an altar. And I said, God, if I never, I just began to lay my dreams down. God, if I never get married, if I never have children, if I never walk in that promise of God that you promised me, you are enough. You are enough. And I just kept saying that you are enough. And the Lord began to just deliver me. Deliver me from the weight of discouragement. And can I tell you, can I tell you that God hears those prayers. I stand right now before you today with the husband, hallelujah. <laughs> An amazing man of God. But what God was trying to show me in that moment, what God was trying to show me in that moment is will I be enough for you in your seated season? God can do a lot more with our lives when we choose to lay it down. 2 Timothy 2.20 to 21 says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes. Made holy, useful for the master, and prepared to do any good work. Isaiah 40, 31. I'm sure a lot of us know this one. But those who hope in the Lord. Can we say hope? But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. Can I encourage you tonight that there is a new strength reserved for you to discover in the secret place. There is a new strength in your seated season reserved for you to discover in the secret place. And can I encourage you that where you are seated, he is also seated with you. It's an eternal mindset. Ephesians 2, I won't read the whole thing because it's six verses. But it talks about how he raised us up from dead to life and then seated us with him, us with him in heavenly places. How can we be right here but also in heaven? Seated with him. It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. If there is anyone who understands the waiting, it's the Son of God. He waited to fulfill the will of the Father. He waited till the moment that he would come to earth, pressed against the womb of a praying virgin for humanity. And now he's waiting at the right hand of the Father saying, when am I going to come get my bride? 
When am I going to come get my bride? Can I encourage you if you're in a waiting season that, there's, that Jesus understands what it means to wait. And here's the thing about seated seasons and waiting seasons is that it births a Maranatha cry. It births a come Lord Jesus, a longing for eternity. It keeps our eyes set on heaven, our gaze set on this life is but a vapor. And there's one day where I'm going to see him face to face. Are you longing for eternity? Even if you're not in a waiting season, are you longing for eternity? Has eternity marked your heart? Has it gripped you to such a point that you can't even think about that family member? You can't even walk at the mall without feeling the ache of humanity, longing for something to fill the gap. And that you, daughter of God, can be the answer to a generation. That you can actually be the answer to a generation because I was willing to yield to the potter. To work in and through me. What keys do you want to come out of this season with? God has keys reserved for you to unlock in a generation. To partner with him. It would be a lot easier to just live this life and go to church and just hope that God does something in America. <laughs> but that's passive Christianity. <laughs> that's complacent Christianity. And I don't want cute Christianity. I want the fullness of everything that Jesus paid for in and through my life. There's a fresh yes made available tonight. If we would receive the invitation. Now I want to talk and I'm going to end here and actually can I get the worship team to come up? We're going to close here soon. But I want to talk to the person where you feel like God has birthed something in your life. You've, pro you've been processed by God. You've been faithful. You've been hidden. You've been seasoned by God. And you're feeling like God is saying, it's time to act. It's time to move. It's time to go forth. Woman of God, I want to send you in the power of my Holy Spirit to do what I've called you to do and to be who I've called you to be in a generation. I believe God is highlighting women in this hour. He's highlighting women in this hour. And he's sending forth women who are emboldened by the Holy Spirit who are empowered by the approval of heaven. And it's time to stop lingering. It's time to stop being passive in your faith. It's time to get up and say, God, I want you to get everything out of me. And I just say, yes, send me, I'll go. Send me, I'll go. And can I encourage you? I feel like even there's some people, you know, what I, you know, God is beginning to highlight those things. I put that dream in your heart. You've yielded it to me. You surrendered it to me. Just like, just like how Abraham laid Isaac down on the altar. You guys remembered that? He laid Isaac down on the altar. And then there was a moment where God provided the ram in the thicket. And God wants to send you forth 
and the power of God and in his Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you that those who feel like, man, I know that God is calling me to do something. I know that God has put this thing in my heart to do. And, and it's time to stop overthinking our way into disobedience. To question God. Or how about this? I'm not adequate enough. I'm not anointed enough. That's just reserved for Pastor Lily, as powerful and as anointed as she is. Or that's just reserved for Claudia. Can I tell you that God has anointed you and empowered you and he has given you every tool possible. He's given you his Holy Spirit. And now is the time to be sent in power. Isaiah 66.9 says, Shall I bring to the point of birth and not deliver? Even women that have been pregnant here, there's even the process of pregnancy and yielding to that process of a perfectly healthy baby being formed in your womb. But then there's the time for that baby to be delivered. There's the time, there's the moment that God is destined for that thing that has been processed to be birthed in the earth for such a time as this. Thank you again for tuning in with us today. To hear more messages or to learn more about LFC, head over to limafirst.church.